0: You're listening to The Hall Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about The Hall Vineyard Church, go to hallvineyard.co.uk. Well, good morning, everyone. Joni and I are just overwhelmed, so thankful, um, really to the faithfulness of God in our church and indeed the faithfulness of the church to God over many, many years, and um, so many things, so many people to be thankful for, and we're enjoying the shade from all that has been planted before us. And um, right now, for for those of you who are on this crazy journey with us, we want to say thank you to you. And um, you know, we have the privilege and responsibility of leading this church. But at the end of the day, we're just trying to follow Jesus. Uh, as best as we can alongside you. And it's such a joy and with all the life's challenges and we absolutely love it and we, we're so thankful to God for you. And I think it's really timely and, and fitting today that as we pause and rightly celebrate and honor uh, and be thankful to God for all that he's done in and through the church over the last 30 years, uh, that we continue to look forward to our good future. You know, the Bible's really clear that the act of remembrance is super important. And in the words of John Newton's uh, amazing grace, it says, "'Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far." And so we should always, daily, be remembering and be thankful for all that God has done. And I always find that remembering fuels future hope which is why the book of Psalms is full of remembering. Uh, you know, gratitude and thankfulness is it's a game changer in terms of outlook, in terms of well-being, in terms of, of discipleship. But we should always, always want to live focused on the future, on what is ahead of us. And I would argue that as a, a follower of Christ, if we want to live in the present well, we should be future-minded, Paul put it this way, forgetting, this is, he prefaced this with saying this is one thing. The one thing that Paul was focused on was forgetting what is behind. That's a lot of tough stuff, difficult stuff, bad stuff, and some good stuff. Straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal. You sense in Paul that one must deliberately, with great intentionality, choose to face forward. Just look at those, some of those words there, Forget strain towards, press on towards the goal. Talking about Jesus in Hebrews 12, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. There's a race for us all. There's been marked out for us. There's a lane for us to run in. And we've got to focus upon that. For the joy of, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. So he was future-minded. He had every single person in this room on his mind at that time when he was on the cross. And that's why he got through it. For the, for the future, which was people. Scorning his shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus himself, Luke 9, 62, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. C.S. Lewis, who um, went to be with the Lord 60 years ago this week, said, there are far, far better things ahead than any we leave behind. Far, far better things ahead. And so as we approach the end of this year, if you recall, I said at the beginning of this year, is that the greatest danger during times of turbulence is not the turbulence, it's acting with yesterday's logic. If we're committed to our future, if we're committed to a a sovereign move of God and posture ourselves and prepare ourselves for what that looks like, then um, nostalgia, uh, the past, the comfort, safety, is, I believe, the greatest threats to the expansion and momentum of the church. I'm thankful, I'm amazed for all that God has done, but I always hold intention tension with God, what are you doing? That your best days are ahead, that there's always fresh bread, there's always new adventures. Um, he's, he's retired now, but the, the pastor, author, Rick Warren, one of the biggest churches in the States, commenting in an interview many years ago on the vineyard movement. He said that one of the things that the vineyard's pretty okay at is tracking with what the Holy Spirit is saying. But what the Holy Spirit is saying today might not be what he was saying 15 years ago. And so we must always be a people leaning in to the voice of God. Lord, what are you saying? to your church today and uh, no doubt about it many churches denominations uh, fall into this trap often of living in the past God will often raise up a man or a woman of God and for a moment and they're often attacked and maligned and usually not appreciated until they're dead and then what happens in a moment becomes a movement and movements become organizations which become institutions. And then through preservation, if an institution doesn't come back to being a movement, it becomes a museum. And museums, if you didn't realize, always tell the stories of when God used to work in and through history. And there's multiple ways that uh, churches can go off track with this, uh, try and preserve the past through control, Uh, Doctrinally become either too stiff or too loose and become polemic and uh, become either or rather than both and and almost obsessed with their trademark, if you like. Often pride comes, uh, this idea of if it's not invented here, then we're not going to embrace it, not adapting something unless it was created by someone or on our team, and there's no humility to learn from other churches and movements. And we must always not just be observing, it's easy to know about other things, but actually to have a posture of humility, is I want to learn from you. It's so, so important. And ultimately, compromise. And so we're in this mini-series looking at John the Baptist, and Josh will wrap this up next week with a word I know will be powerful for us, but I just want to zoom on this idea of future church. We've called this series "Prepare the Way," and I want to focus on the future church. John the Baptist had this focus, this steeliness to life and ministry. I talked about it last week the call of God on his life and the call of God on our life, and it was extreme, you could argue. And often God raises people up um, in moments who are kind of off balance, if you like, in order to emphasize something of huge importance. And John's mission was to point the world to the coming Jesus. He was um, what you call a forerunner. And in many respects, our call, our mission in this life is to be likewise. We are called to be forerunners. And we're forerunners in a couple of senses of the word. We are forerunners to the second coming of Christ and the consummation of all things. So all our present days are fueled with a hope and expectation that Christ could come back at any moment. Some of you have your roast chicken in the oven, and Jesus could come back. And some of you may think that's an inconvenience, I don't know. But whilst we wait for that, we are forerunners to the future and active kingdom of God that is breaking in from the future into our present day and age through salvation through freedom through healing through deliverance through justice in essence we are pointing the world to Jesus through our witness through our lives everything that we say and everything we do we are pointing to the coming Christ and if we want to be relevant a generation from now We must organize ourselves around the obsession of pointing the world around us, not to ourselves, not to the church in terms of a brand or a denomination or a movement. We must be pointing people to Jesus. Churches get it wrong. Leaders get it wrong. They mess up, they fail. Don't put your trust in leaders. Put your trust ultimately in Jesus Christ. Look to leaders for inspiration and imitation, but ultimately don't make an idol out of people. Look to Jesus. And I believe there are some elements of John the Baptist's ministry which should echo with the church today and the future. The prophet Isaiah prophesying about John the Baptist hundreds of years earlier were was that John the Baptist would be one who is a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And I believe our role as a church in these days is to be a voice in the wilderness, making straight paths for Jesus. And so I just want to take those two things, really simple today, um, wilderness and voice. What does it mean for us today as the church to be in the wilderness, and what does it mean for us to be a prophetic voice of the future church? So the first thing is wilderness. We are in a new cultural moment where the ground beneath our feet has moved, and we are in what you call a post-Christian culture. Many commentators would say, well, actually, we're in a pre-Christian culture, we've kind of gone full circle that many people that we're engaging with have no Christian mental furniture at all. So actually, when you begin to share the story of God and the gospel and the good news of Jesus, that actually, for many, many people in our context, they have no idea. It may not be something they've even picked up in school, but actually it's something completely fresh to them. I think about beautiful churches and cathedrals with their stained glass windows and when you look from within the church the stories make complete sense but actually if you were to step outside of the church or the cathedral and look at the stained glass window it makes no sense whatsoever and most of my neighbors most of my friends most of the people I'm doing life with are people who are outside of the cathedral looking at the church Unlike for many of us who follow Jesus, we're from within the cathedral looking at the stained glass window, seeing the story of God and understanding it. But for many people that is not the case. And so we are in a wilderness moment. We're in what you call an era of exile. Exile is the experience of being in an environment where the dominant values culturally run counter to one's own. And so there's no doubt about it that in our current cultural climate the church are a people in the wilderness we're in exile we basically exist on the margins of our culture and our society we start off in a garden one day we'll be in a city. in between we're traveling through as exiles and as pilgrims as strangers alienated from our true heavenly home heavenly kingdom and the reality is, is, if we're immersed in the message of the gospel, we should be sensitive to that feeling of alienation from the attitudes that prevail in the majority of people and indeed governments. There should be, in essence, like a homesickness of the soul. Uh, I don't know how many of you have started your Christmas shopping. We started ours yesterday. Anyone started your Christmas shopping? Same people who got their Christmas trees up, I think. And... Um, and you know, we, we want to be generous, we're thinking through things, we're being thoughtful, it's a good time to celebrate. But as you're doing it, there is a dis-ease. The chaos of people trying to get stuff. When you look at the poverty in the world, and you look at what's happening in the Middle East right now, and you think to yourself, there is a disconnect, there's an absolute disconnect in terms of our westernized perspective and paradigm right now. And so there's, a, there's an awkwardness. There's a sense of like, this isn't 100% right. We are aliens. We are strangers in these lands. And right now, as a follower of Jesus in the year 2023, in the West, we're experiencing a few things. I'd say we're experiencing a cultural disorientation where the values of kingdom culture are hugely different from the culture portrayed in the world, especially through the news and especially through social media. And so it's leading to this sense of disorientation in our cultural moment. And this leads always to identity confusion. The greatest battle of this generation, certainly for my generation, but I'm thinking about in our context, our kids, um, and eventually be their kids. The greatest battle of this generation is understanding who am I. The, uh, the newspapers were reporting last week that, um, as always at Christmas, there will be a huge rise, they're expecting it, in communities of identity theft, identity fraud, um, fraudulent claims, And the reality is, is that in this season of life that we're in, when people are trying to work out what does it actually even mean to be human, you have the rise of artificial intelligence and all that that brings. You have the erosion of the family unit, confusion over gender, and all these different things. And the quest for who am I is agonizing, particularly for young people. Who am I? What am I for? And this is the very battle for us in this moment. The rise of, of secularism and um, what, what one commentator called the buffered self. In other words, there's this idea that we have protected ourselves, our hearts, our minds, our lives from the supernatural. From them being someone outside of our existence. That all that people know is what they see, but actually more than that, how they feel. And so if you feel something, therefore that is truth. And this idea of there's someone else outside of our existence, outside of our material things, from what we see, from what we hear, is actually quite strange. You could argue it's kind of like a windowless room. Imagine you're in a room and there's a table and a chairs there, but actually the four walls and there's no door and there's no window. There is no light coming through. It's a dark room, a windowless room. And the idea that there is some kind of light, God, somewhere else is a mystery to many people. Our job in our day and age, as we consider the present day church and indeed the future church, is that we are called to be that window. We are called to be a people who connect people from a darkened, windowless room to someone and something else, which is Jesus Christ. So every single day, you may be the only Christian in your workplace, the only Christian in your class, the only Christian uh, in your lecture hall, the only Christian in your neighborhood. You are called to bring that light through to those darkened rooms. That is why we are here as the church. And so we recognize that there's a wilderness. We recognize we're people of exile. But the good news is, is that we're called to be a voice in the wilderness. And I look at our church right now, and it is flourishing like a stream in the desert. It's making a way where there is no way. I just think about many of you who are serving in so many different ministries and and areas of compassion and justice and mercy in the life of our church, just giving countless hours, sacrificing your convenience for the sake of another. We are making a way where there was no way. Where there is a wilderness, where there is a wasteland, where there is an exile for many, many people, we're helping to bring light into their world we are being a prophetic voice in our era this is good news this is much like the first century church where there was lots of tension the people of God were a minority in the early church there was lots of persecution they were were in a their context was a pagan empire many beliefs the worship of Caesar was paramount and yet God used them mightily Let me give you one example from history in the last century in terms of um, this country, China. And I remember picking up a a newspaper, I think it was the Times, many, many years ago. and, And the front cover was all about this amazing movement where there are now millions of Christians in China. And in 1948... Chinese communists took over China, and what they did as a result of that is they stopped the public worship of God, they tore down church buildings, but it turns out that actually the system that created that was an agent of the Lord God Almighty. It's because what resulted was the largest house church movement that has ever existed in our world in history that were a thousand times more effective than the West sending missionaries there. And now we have in China, through those regimes, through the politics and the government, one of the largest and fastest growing churches in the world. That was all through an underground house church movement. You can't stop God doing all that he wants to do. It doesn't matter what the government says. It doesn't matter what the legislation says. It does not matter. God will have his way with us in the UK. He is at work in our lives just like in the early church where faith isn't assumed. We're not in control. We're often not respected. There are no free rides for faith. And our approach is never... Compromise, our approach is never control or imitation and assimilation. It has to be that we are called to be a creative minority. Jonathan Sachs, um, I love a lot of his stuff, he's a rabbi and theologian. He first coined the phrase creative minority, and he says this A Christian community, a creative minority is a Christian community in a web of stubbornly loyal relationships knotted together in a living network of persons in a complex and challenging culture setting are committed to practicing the way of Jesus together for the renewal of the world. He goes on to say, to become a creative minority is not easy because it involves maintaining strong links with the outside world while staying true to your faith. Seeking not merely to keep the sacred flame burning, but also to transform the larger society of which you are a part. This is, as Jews can testify, a demanding and risk-laden choice. And so, Christians need to live in this prophetic Tension between faithfulness to God and His ways and His word and influence in culture, being salt and light. Now, I'm not sure I can agree, actually, with the, the famous quote from St. Francis of Assisi. It talks about, preach the gospel and use words if necessary. I love that because the gospel has hands, it has legs, it has feet, it has um, the, the work that we do in terms of compassion. And backing up in terms of creating grace, outposts, all that we say. I love all of that. But the gospel has to speak. The Bible is really clear that people cannot know about the saving love of Christ without the gospel being preached. So it's it's, it's brilliant, all the stuff that's going on in our church, but people need to give a reason for the hope that they have. We have to say we do this because our lives have been dramatically transformed by Jesus Christ. This is how he transformed my life. This is how he can transform yours. And we give them the gospel. The reality is, is to be a prophetic voice in our time, it will be clear, like John the Baptist's ministry. It will be radical. There will be persecution attached to it. It will be undeniable. It will be different. And the voice, the prophetic voice in our generation is trying to be quietened by the enemy at all points and his goal is just to quieten the voice of the church just don't go there just gently fit in just compromise here and there that won't make a big deal now our voice I believe is to be characterized by a few things and I just kind of want to finish with just sharing a few of these thoughts that I believe the future church will be marked by a handful of these things first of all holiness holiness and I'd love to do an illustration if that's okay so um, can I have a magician's team to come out please and Josh if you could come up um, we've done a risk assessment for the trustees who are just wondering So the idea of, of holiness can carry a lot of baggage, but do you know what Marks Holiness is joy? A holy people are a happy people. And holiness is the thing that will make the difference in our time. This is kind of like the battleground. If, we want, if the enemy wants our voice to be um, more like a whisper rather than the radical shout of John the Baptist, then it will be about compromise. And I just want this to be a kind of a visual to help you with this. Um, uh, a couple of things. I don't like heights, and uh, I don't do DIY. And Josh is tall, and he likes DIY, so there we go. So if you could come over here, Josh. And I want you to imagine, don't, don't see this as a, an analogy of... Um, Kind of going up the ladder in order to uh, get to God. Okay, that's religion. Grace has smashed that. Uh, Jesus came down in order to scoop us up. And it's through what he has done that we now have access to God. But there's a sense in there that we're wanting to be like God, be an imitator of Christ, become Christ like is that we want to be seekers of God. We want to do the right thing. We want to be a holy people. We want to be set apart. We want to be of a different spirit in our day and age. And that's represented by this ladder. So if you'd like to climb up on that, please. We haven't practiced this, as you can see. Let me get you some new shoes for Christmas. That's quite high. Yeah, Are you Okay. So that's all great, but what I want you to do, I want you to try that, Josh, whilst putting one foot on that ladder. Keep keep going. If you pull a hamstring, it's not good for uh, the second baby coming, but (laughs) you're doing actually better than I thought. (laughs) Yeah, thanks very much, yeah. So you get the point here. Just stay there, please, Josh. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to be holy when you've got one foot in the world. It's hard to be holy when you're compromising and you think, do you know what? It doesn't matter if I just do this or I do that or I made that small compromise here or there. What Jesus is looking for in our day and age to be the future church, there will be a of influence is to be a radical remnant that shuns the things of this world and say, Lord, I am completely and utterly sold out. That's the words of when I survey the wondrous cross. Once it's so beautiful, is your heart within you say, Lord, I just want you, I want your cross, I want everything that's about you. I want to shun the world and live for Jesus. Can we give them a round of applause? Thanks, guys. Thanks, Josh, very kind. The second thing is humility. Josh will talk a bit more about this next week, but humility is going to be really important in the future church. Humility is about tone. Humility is about posture. We influence through serving. Humility is about a dependence in God, so therefore prayer is going to be at the center of any move of God and is paramount for the age that we live in. I believe humility is wrought when hunger for God prevails over hunger For other things. Humility is made manifest in two things simplicity of life and generosity with everything that we have. Simplicity and generosity are hallmarks of dependence and hallmarks of humility. This will be our substance. I don't know who said this, but I I, I read this quote and I've lost track of where I got it from. We must avoid confusing style with substance. The substance belongs to the Lord, and we must not change that, but the style can change like the wind. Now, I only realized this, um, we're talking a couple of months ago, but when you go to the supermarket to get eggs, we have a picture of eggs, there we go. Um, you have small, medium, large, extra large, uh, and I always thought it was to do with the size of the eggs. Who here thinks it's to do with the size of the eggs? Oh, well, not, thank you, yeah. Don't feel so alone now. Actually, it's got nothing to do with the size of the egg. So if you go to a supermarket and you're like opening up the box and switching them around, not that we do that as Christians, it's kind of pointless because it's got nothing to do with size. It has got to do with weight and weight and substance. What humility does is it brings about a weightiness to the voice of the church. And a lot of the church, particularly in charismatic circles, have been found wanting, if you like, by focusing on things which are about style and size, but not substance. Church, there's nothing wrong with a big church, but we must always be a church that focuses on weight and substance and depth. Always. And that's that's actually what, The Lord Jesus will be, how he'll be weighing us. He'll be weighing my life like that, like an egg. What is the substance there? It may look a certain size. It may look impressive. It may be in date and look relevant. But actually, what is the substance of your life? Humility in serving Jesus. Humility in serving the church. Humility in serving the community is so, so important. The third thing will be hospitality. The radical welcome of the church. We must be a church of high truth, yes, but also high grace and radical welcome of the kingdom. The reality is, is that none of us are fit for the things of the kingdom. None of us are worthy to be here. We're, the dividing line has to be Christ and the cross. Nothing else. Any other barrier that we put is wrong. The dividing line is, is Jesus. And I want to say to, I, I say this to many people who I meet who may have thought they'd get struck by lightning if they came into church. They've done so many things. And I always say to them, you are as welcome here as my family. You're as welcome here as my children. There is a place at the table for you. Because the dividing line is not the stuff we've done wrong. It doesn't matter if you came out of your parents um, looking like Billy Graham or... You were a drug dealer by the age of seven. It's really irrelevant. The point is, it's the cross. Not our, even our righteous works are like filthy rags before a holy and perfect God. So, if it wasn't for Jesus, and so we have a radical welcome of the kingdom, which is hospitality. We want to be a people who, of course, give food, practically whatever that looks like in terms of justice and mercy, but spiritual food. Give hope, share the gospel which is why we've just lent into mission for the whole of the year. The fourth one is healthy. We need to, the future church will be a healthy church with healthy leadership and healthy cultures and healthy relationships. It'll be a mature church. It'll be a church which is orthodox in a world of separatism and compromise. Healthy community in a world of isolation. And what that is all about is this. It's about being a church that's just real. If I could have another line to our church it will be this no perfect people allowed it's a church that's genuine that's authentic that's real that's transparent with God and with people and finally and we'll close with this Holy Spirit power is that in order to be the future church we will need to have his anointing upon us the presence of God to be a window in a dark room The battle is spiritual and we need the Holy Spirit in an age of might and power. And so we're always gonna be a people who lean into the presence of God and say, we will always make home for him first and foremost. Why do you stand? Thank you for listening to the whole Vineyard podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.